Welcome to the Joe and Carrie Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in, friends. Always a pleasure. Today's guest is Larry Parrish. Larry Parrish, a 15-year Major League veteran, all-star, uh, a great player all around, and a very insightful and fascinating guy. This has actually turned into uh, a, a lengthy chat. We got into a whole bunch of stuff about coming up with those Expos teams in the 70s. Um, to, gosh, an eventful career, near misses, playing baseball in Japan, and he told some wild stories about Japan. Oof. <clears throat> tough, tough place to play. Um, and some real disciplinarians over there. Uh, really, you know, you can't go wrong talking to any ex-ball player, but I appreciated LP with his candor and thought and all that. It was really great. Um, and on a broader note, I just want to mention the last uh, few days here. This was... Every year I look forward to this time of year. It's the exhibition games where the Blue Jays come to town. And so there's always events. And uh, there was a big gala dinner honoring a bunch of former Expos and uh, a lot of fun, a lot of familiar faces. And it was really great. That was all warm and great. And, uh, <laughs> man, the exhibition games, you know, uh, maybe it's going to be a letdown this year at Olympic Stadium. The first year that uh, that I went, it was emotional and crazy and sold out and all that. It was 25,000 people uh, for each of the two games this year, which, you know, a bit of a letdown, Monday, Tuesday, what have you. But how about that result? How about Vladimir Guerrero Jr. hitting a walk-off home run in the bottom of the ninth inning in the last exhibition game of the season at Olympic Stadium, where his dad played his first time uh, taking part in a major league spring training, and he goes yard. I, I, I don't know. I don't know what to do with that stuff. Baseball will... Uh, will always get you. It's really, really something. And, uh, you know, for those of us who are nostalgic for that kind of thing and uh, a team that no longer exists, it's pretty cool. So, yeah, that was pretty darn amazing. Uh, I also want to give a gigantic, gigantic shout-out to uh, my terrific and brilliant and awesome girlfriend, Amy, who is uh, my podcast producer as well and does such an amazing job and uh, helps me out a lot with booking a bunch of these podcasts, Larry Parrish, uh, this one, she helped uh, make that happen, as well as our mutual friend, Ellis Valentine. Amy actually sat, sat in on that, so the three of us had a great chat. Uh, Ellis is, uh, was a great ball player and has become a close friend as well, and so that will be coming out next week, uh, as well as a pod with Ken Hill, a former Expo. So we, we banged a bunch of those out um, during the weekend uh, with all the festivities going on. So uh, big ups to Amy. I appreciate you. And yeah, big ups to all of you. I hope you enjoy the latest edition of the Jim McCurry Podcast. It's with Larry Parrish. Okay, Larry Parrish, so I'm going to do something that's slightly self-serving, but hopefully you will appreciate it. So, I have a book. I wrote it about the Expos. I interviewed most of the people, the prominent people for the franchise. You're one of the few that I didn't, and I regret it. I was getting down to deadline time, and I had Rogers and Cromartie and Rusty and Pedro and Reigns and Dawson, everybody. I didn't get to chat with you. However, there are photographs in the book, and I'm going to open it up to the page with the photographs. And you will witness this photograph here at the bottom right. 
The yeah. book is for you, by the way. Yeah. So what is it? You tell tell the listeners what the photograph is about. They would actually have a uh, a farm day. Yes. Every year, and uh, you know they would get some you know some guys that were from the uh, from the country. Yeah. That knew a little bit about what yeah, they were doing, yeah. and, and we would uh, we would milk the cows on the field. There's you know, a picture on of the a field, cow and, on the pasture. And, and it would be like. Uh, they would be like two guys from the Expos and two guys from whatever team we happened to be playing. Yeah. And it was, uh, you know, you had a time limit of, you know, who got the, you know, who got the most milk. It was, you know, fun deal. Of course. And it had to be you and Woody Fryman every year, I would yeah. think. Who else Woody, would it you, be? Me and Woody uh, did a lot. That's right. That's fantastic. Um, and I want to get into that a little bit. I hope you enjoy the book, by the way. It's a yeah. lot of fun. Um, I want to get into a little bit about... Um, your background and, and all that good stuff. And, and I've read interviews with you, did great with Lynn Henning. I love the um, Saber bio that Norm King did as well. So lots of great stuff. And you talk so affectionately about your dad, about uh, Alton Parish, and about the influence that he had on you growing up. And I'm always interested uh, in how people are affected by their dads, by their family members. What was it for you that made him uh, a mentor for you and somebody that you looked up to? Uh, gosh, you know, uh, I think sometimes something like that is just, you know, hard to explain. But I, I guess, you know, because he had so much time for me. Yeah. You know, as a kid growing up, uh, uh, you know, he loved sports. And he grew up uh, poor in the South. And mm-hmm. he didn't he didn't get a chance himself to actually, uh, you know, finish high school and play yeah. uh, some of the sports. And uh, he was actually... Uh, you know, he was a good athlete. He was actually a faster runner than I was. Hmm. Even when I was in high school, uh, he could outrun, you know, myself and some of the, you know, the other, wow. some of the other guys, uh, that were, you know, played basketball or football mm-hmm. and, uh, he could outrun them. And at that time he had to be 42, something like that, you know, in his forties and, and, and he could still, hmm. you know, outrun us and, uh, so, you know, it was really a shame, you know, when you, you know, that he didn't get a chance to yeah. play it himself. And I think because of that, you know, he was, you know, he was looking for a son that would enjoy the sports that he could take him to. Right. And, uh, so as a, as a young kid, uh, uh, you know, he was always there when, you know, when, when I would catch him when he'd come home from work and it was like, you know, let's play. Let's play catch. Yeah. Uh, or, uh, you know, in football, he was, you know, he, he loved football. Now, yeah. Now, uh, when I started playing basketball later on, you know, he had never played that before. And, and, uh, but he helped me because he, uh, you know, cause it was, uh, uh, his basketball was a little bit like rugby, you know, that, you know, you learned to try to shoot while you were getting fouled. <laughs> he was going to, you know, whack on you a little bit, but, uh, but I think it was more that he was always there, you know, he was always available. Uh, and he used to take me to, you know, all the spring training games down in Florida. And, uh, I was a, uh, huge, uh, Yankee fan growing up, you mm-hmm. know, cause that was a, that was a team on TV. Uh, you know, you got to see them often. So you, you know, they were, for me, they were, you know, household names. You sure. know, I could, I could have told you what, uh, you know, what they the batting average, not only Mickey Mantle, but I could have told you what Hector Lopez was there. Oh, wow. Know. Hector Lopez. You know, uh, 
And uh, Johnny Blanchard, you know, the, the third catcher that was hitting 20, you know, hit 20 bombs in 61. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so, you know, so he was, he would take me to those games in, you know, Florida at the time. Uh, uh, you know, he would take me, I can remember going to the games in Tampa when the Yankees would be playing there and I was against, you know, Cincinnati was, was there at that time. Yeah. And, uh, I can remember, I didn't know how spring training worked, you know, and I can remember as a kid, he took, he took me over there to, to watch the Yankees play and Mickey didn't play. Oh. And I'm like, oh, you know, how can you play and not have Mickey in the lineup, you know? And, uh, but they, they wound up tying the game up and they played like 16 innings, you know, today. It's spring you training. You know, today you don't do that. Never. You know, they would go, all right, we got, we got enough pitching for 11 innings, that's it. Of you course. Know, the game's over. But they were in the 16th, and Mickey actually pitch hit. Wow. In the 16th, and how, why he was there. Took him off the golf course you know, or something. Right. Come back, come yeah, back. Yeah, get him back, you know. <laughs> and, and, he, and he hits a home run. No way. In the 16th inning. So for, oh my a, kid, God. for a kid that was a Mickey Mantle fan. You're eight, eight, nine or something like that? Yeah, it didn't get any better than that. Oh, yeah. my gosh. Did you get to meet any? I, I know that back in those days... It'd be looser, right? You want to get an autograph now of Mike Trout. Real tough to do. I would think it'd be looser, especially spray train. Did you get to meet Mickey Mantle or any of these guys? Never. You know, but I was too scared yeah. to ask him for an autograph. It's hard. I stood there and watched him walk out of the clubhouse and get on the bus. Yeah. And I was so afraid that he might turn me down oh. that I would never ask him for an autograph. And uh, But someone I told that story to, and someone actually got me... On, you know, with the sealed stamp. Oh, wow. An autograph with Mickey's, you know, name on it. So that's one of the things that I have. That's fantastic. Yeah. And, uh, but, and, you know, and I think just the values that, you know, that my dad had, you know, he yeah. believed in, you know, hard work and, and that, uh, you know, if, uh, if you hired out, you give the guy a day's work for a day's pay. Uh, I guess much like, uh, John Wayne, you know. Yeah. Like, you know. Cut from that cloth, like yeah. the good old fashioned values and all right. that stuff. And, uh, and so that's, uh, you know, that's what I remember about him. And, 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 uh, you know, he was in, you know, in construction and, you know, mm-hmm. building and, and, uh, and, uh, it's funny now, my, my son, uh, who growing up didn't show a lot of, you know, interest in, and that, and but now he's, uh, you know, he's like, you know, so he maybe thirty three now. Okay. And uh, but now he's doing all kind of woodworking and he's building stuff for people. And, Interesting. And it's like you know, you know, you know, granddad would be proud of you right now if oh, he could, if so he could see you with, uh, you know, uh, doing all the work, the woodwork. I could see by the look on your face that uh, how much you meant to you, and it's nice to carry his legacy on. Mm-hmm. Also, I have. No utility whatsoever with my hands, so I'm in great admiration for people who can do it. It's tremendous. Um, so you're growing up playing high school football, high school basketball, high school baseball, uh, but it wasn't necessary. Florida, absolutely great reputation for all the sports, a great place to get noticed, but the part of Florida where you grew up, even though you were a pretty good player, you didn't get drafted, right? I mean, you didn't no. get the notoriety that you might have expected. No, it was, uh, you know, a small town at yeah, the yeah. time, and, uh, you know, we just didn't see, you know, we didn't see scouts. Mm. Uh, now, if you got to the you know, the Tampa area, you know, Jacksonville, Miami, Orlando, maybe, yeah. 
Orlando. Yeah. You know, even though Orlando at that time. Yeah, it wasn't Orlando. It wasn't, wasn't no. Orlando. No, no you're right. uh, You know, because Disney was, had just came in. Yeah. And it hadn't really exploded yet. And uh, so uh, I didn't, I didn't, uh, uh, you know, get drafted at all. In fact, I had more offers uh, coming out of high school to play basketball. Wow. You know, than, than baseball. But I also was, you know, because I sort of patterned myself, uh, uh, I want to be, you know, because uh, Pistol Pete Maravich was, oh my you know, was at LSU at the time. And the, the passing, and I used player. to go to the gym and, and you know, and put the, the X on the wall and pass behind my back. and Love it. All of that stuff that he could do, but I couldn't shoot like him. Never could. You know, and, and, well, if you uh, could, this might have been a different story. Right, but I, but I realized I couldn't. Yeah, see, yeah. You know, and I was like, you know, my offers were like, uh, you know, small college. You know, mm-hmm. you know the Kentucky Wesleyan at that time was big, and you yeah, know, schools like that. And but it was like, all right, I, you know. Uh, but my uh, my high school baseball coach was actually uh, had played college baseball at Furman. Okay, and. You know, and he wasn't very far removed. You know, he had just started teaching like maybe three or four years. Younger guy. Younger guy. Yeah, yeah. I came along and, 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 uh, you know, he just thought that, you know, he's like, I, you know, I, I played college ball against some good players and I haven't seen a guy, you know, who's, that he thought I, you know, was as good as any player he had, he had seen. Wow. And that, that really, and he really helped me, you know, to get a, uh, to get a chance. And, you know, I was like, I, uh, I actually wanted to go to Florida Southern, who was in Lakeland, and mm-hmm. uh, they did they did very well in the small college World Series back then. And uh, in fact, they almost won it every year, you know, in that in that time frame. And uh, Hal Smelsey was the coach, and Fred called him up, you know, about you know. Me going there, you know, giving me a scholarship, yep. and he just said, you know, he said, well, he's not, you know, he hasn't played anybody at Haines City. He needs to go to junior college, and if he's any good, then we'll pick him up. Yeah. <clears throat> and uh, and so it wound up. Fred got me a a, a tryout with Seminole Junior College, and uh, Jay Bergman was the coach there, who went on to. Uh, coach University of Florida soon after that was yep. in Florida many years and then went to University of Central Florida and uh, great recruiter because we had poor facilities you know Seminole was and brand new yeah, Seminole, yeah. junior college yeah. at that time and uh, uh, we didn't have a dorm uh, we stayed in, you know, over the top of an old grocery store <laughs> uh, we didn't Five star meals every day, right? It well, they, they had a restaurant in town. Yeah. You know, if you were on scholarship, we got to go to the restaurant okay. and eat. Yeah. But it was just like a you know a family diner. Sure, and yeah. They didn't have any you know any dorm type stuff. And then uh, the baseball field, they didn't have a field at the college yet. We played wow. at a uh, just a uh, it was like an old pony league field for wow. Sanford, and they moved the fences back. And uh, we, they actually, the year that I played there, uh, the poles were still, Frank Cacciatore had to play, run around the telephone pole. They were inside <laughs> the, the playing field, and the fences were, you know, 
back behind it. Amazing. They didn't even move the pole. Like the flagpole of Tiger Stadium, but much less glamorous. Right. <laughs> and uh, so it was, you know, but uh, I went up and they were playing Stetson. And I went up and had a tryout. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, threw, caught, and, and took batting practice. And he gave me a scholarship off that tryout. So, uh, so obviously I looked, you know, pretty decent in the tryout to get a scholarship yeah. just off a one day tryout. And then from there I wound up leading the nation in hitting for junior college. And, and, uh, because of that, I could, I could sign with anyone. Yep. Before the draft. Yeah, free agent. I was a free agent, mm-hmm. which is, you know, you just don't see those, you no. know, at the time, I, uh, you know, I was a, it was sort of I was sort of a freak. Yeah. Usually, if a guy's good enough, he gets drafted. He, you know, he doesn't have that much, you know, many teams after. He leverage of power as a so, kid. Yeah, yeah. So we were at uh, uh, the junior college tournament, you know, and all these guys, you know, all the general managers and scouting directors are taking us out to eat and talking and. Uh, uh, but you know, my dad being from the blue collar. Style, uh, you know, a lot of them, you know, would come with three piece suits on, briefcase, and all like that. And and Mel Didier, who was running the Expos at the yes, time, the yeah, may he rest in peace. Recently yeah, passed away. I know, but there's nobody better than Mel Didier. And you know, this guy was, you know, had come in with khakis and a golf shirt on, you know, and he told my daddy, "You gonna do the accent? You want to yeah. try to do the accent? Take a shot yeah. at it." <laughs> I'm going to look at my ball, die ball, belly button to belly button. Ain't going to be no drugs when I run the expo, you know. And, and, and uh, you know. It's, Deep Louisiana. And, you know, when he got up to leave, my dad goes, you're signing with them. Yeah. And we actually, uh, Baltimore actually offered more money than the expos. But my dad said, no, you're going with them. And Mel had said that, uh, you know, if he can play as good as we think he can, He'll be in the big leagues at an early age because there's no, you know, we're an expansion team and there's no one in front of him. Yeah. I was in the big leagues at 20, so. Unreal. It worked, you know, worked out great. And and it's funny, most of the teams there, I hadn't, I'd never played third. Yep. But most of the teams. Catcher and the right fielder and all that stuff, yeah. And uh, (laughs) most of the teams, uh, you know, I guess profile-wise, body-wise, uh, most of the teams were talking about, you know, we're going to move you to third base. Mm. So it wasn't only the Expos. I, I guess, you know, like look back on it now, you know, we profile guys now when I coach sure. with, the, with the Tigers. You know, you look in body types. But at the time, I didn't know how you fit in. But, it, you know, I didn't care, you know, as long I play anywhere as long as I got the hit. So Didier, and, uh, he just, his track record was so incredible. All the guys oh. that he uncovered, there's a little... Uh, snippet in the book, it talks about Didier going to Cuba because don't forget every team was American except right. Montreal. So no problem, you could fly to Cuba. That mm-hmm. still can. It was all good. And he tried to work out a deal with Castro where the Expos would corner the market on Cuban talent, and he almost got it done. And that is the kind of guy that he was. That he was. There was something very down home and charming about it, but he was smart. He was smart, and, and yeah. he had a great eye. I mean, he, there's nobody right. better than Didier. Right. Unreal. Good. And I mean, we did things in spring training, you know, that they do today. Like what? You know, testing for, for how high you can jump. Yeah, yeah. You know, long jump, you know, 
and you know just testing to see what kind of athlete the yeah. guy was. You know, almost like the football. Yeah, like a combine. Combine. Yeah, yeah. And we did that in spring training every like year. Like nineteen seventy-three, seventy-two, seventy-three, seventy-four with the wow. with the expo. Yeah. And I mean, we used to do a lot of football drills because you know his background was that. Huh? And I mean, we used to run sideways, run backwards, and and he would work on twisting. You know, being able to run one way and spin. You know, and still you know and run the other way. And and you know, it was it almost seemed like football drills, but it was tremendous outfield drills. And they would draft athletes, you know. And it was funny, like I said. I mean, I I caught in high school and. Then, uh, when I went to junior college, they had a all you know got made all American there as a catcher, so I played right field. Mm-hmm. And then like you know with the Expos, and when they were talking to me, DDA said we're going to move you to third. You know they drafted Carter as a shortstop, and then the first thing they did was move him behind the plate, and they drafted Valentine, I think, as a shortstop, and the first thing they did was put him in right field. They knew what they were doing, but they knew what they were doing. Yeah, and I meant it was. Uh, you know, the talent the Expo had. Ridiculous. You came up with Crow and Valentine. You played yes. on that Quebec City team with them. Yes. That's a monster team. With Atkinson, too, that's a killer team. It was. Yeah. Unbelievable. And and I'm wondering, too, about the uh, culture shock of it. Obviously, when you're a kid, you're like, I'll play anywhere. I don't care. You want to play on Mars? That's fine. But there's got to be a difference between, okay, well, my, the minor league team is in Great Falls or Biloxi versus Quebec City. 1974, Quebec City, your kid from Florida. I'm going to guess you've probably never seen snow before. Tell me about that. I had never seen snow. Yeah. You know, I'm at, uh, you know, in 70, 72, when you when I signed with the Expos, yeah. we went to Jamestown, New York, but it was uh, yeah. it was summer, you know, June oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we played there, you know, half of June, July, and August, you know, and then we come to Instructional League, and then the next year, we're in the Florida State League, mm-hmm. you know, so I'm basically playing at home. That's great. Played all of, you know, 73, played around Florida. And then in 74, uh, you know, we leave, you know, leaving spring training to go to Quebec City. <laughs> and really, I didn't have a winter jacket. <laughs> you know, I didn't own one. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and like I said, I, I never... I'd never seen snow before. Yeah. And we flew up to Quebec City, and when we arrived, I mean, there was, you know, it was 10 foot deep. Oh, yeah, late March, there's still plenty of snow. (laughs) And it was like, wow. (laughs) And, you know, you started scrambling trying to, you know, go to, you know, find, go to the store and buy some jackets. I didn't have, I didn't have clothes for for that climate. Sure. And. uh, Did you like the culture, though? It was totally, you know, totally, different. totally different. It's different even than Montreal, which is a pretty yes. international city. Yes. Quebec is a flat-out French city. You're yeah. not getting English there. And uh, you know, it was, it was, uh, you know, and I was, uh, I remember there was a, uh, I guess you'd call it a bar. Yeah. But it was huge, you know, and they'd have rock bands in there, and I mean, it was. This bar was almost like they were having concerts, and wow. you know, at the time, and uh, you know, I didn't know uh, who all came, you know, came through there. I'm sure the big groups played there, yeah, yeah. Uh, but it was, uh, it was quite different. And the bus rides in that league were oh, long. long. <laughs> it was long bus rides, you know. And uh, uh, we played in. Uh, 
I remember one time we played in, in some inclement weather in Quebec City. Yeah. We had a double header. And we finished up, you know, that night. You know, and we started at like one o'clock. And, you know, it was night when we finished both games. And then we get on the bus and we take off for Reading, Pennsylvania. Oh. And bus gets, we get hung somewhere going through the mountains up there in New Hampshire. Yeah. Somewhere. You know, I don't even know where we're at. Yeah. But it was one of those back roads and we tried to go through the tunnel. Uh-oh. And we get hung. Oh, my God. You know, like the air conditioning yeah. and stuff on top of it. So now they got to get out and let all the, you know, let the air out of the tires. And we made it through there, but then we had the limp, you know, and I mean, it's, we're in, the, you know, we're like you nowhere, one in the, you know, two in the morning or something. And we finally made it to a, you know, to a place and, and they found, uh, but it took a while because I mean, we couldn't drive very fast at all with this bus loaded with baseball gear and, you know, and, and, you know, 25, 30 players. Oh my gosh. And, and then we finally, you know, aired the tires back up and we get, and we get into, we got a double header the next day also in Reading and the game was supposed to start at 5.30. Nope. And we arrive at 5. Oh wow. Amazing. Reading, and we get off the bus and, and we had to face that night Tom Underwood who pitched in the Big leagues with Philly and Roy Thomas pitched the second. Wow, we had to face two big leaguers That's off, of, off of that, uh, you know, uh, bus ride that we just had. You know, amazing. I've got one similar story, uh, also in the book actually. So I interviewed uh, Bill Stoneman and Dan McGinn, who were just slightly the generation before you at the Expos, and they used to do. They were National Guard Reserve in Vermont, so they'd go and they're pitchers. You know, they don't have to worry about it. It's not their day or whatever. And they go up there, and Stoney gets a call, and he says, we need you for emergency, emergency fill-in tonight. And he's like, well, I'm, I'm, on a, I'm on a military base. I can't. No, no, you got to get back. So he goes, and he, he he doesn't have time. So he gets stressed. He's in his uniform, and he's driving down. And he gets there, and first pitch at Jerry Park is whatever it was, 710. And at 7.04 p.m., he's literally sprinting through the parking lot at Jerry Park, wearing his spikes, and takes the mound that night. Wow. And pitched pretty well, by the way. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I love wow. those, like, which stuff, you know, imagine Derek Jeter doing with the right. New Hampshire bus or with the, any of that stuff. Right. right. Amazing you know, stuff. And, uh, yeah, it was a, you know, it was a different time. And a lot of those places, you know, a lot of those buses that you had back then, you know, maybe they had air conditioning. Most of them, you just let the windows down. And, yeah. And you'd be playing cards, and sometimes, you know, you'd have to grab them, you know, <laughs> and keep them blowing out the window. There's a new way to get the latest scores, news, and highlights for baseball and all your favorite sports, CBS Sports HQ. It's a brand new 24-7 streaming channel covering the biggest games, best plays, and crucial insights from around sports. You can stream it free anytime on the CBS Sports app for T- Apple TV, Roku, Amazon Fire, your phone, and other connected devices. And guess what? I'll be on it very frequently. Or you can also watch it online at cbssportshq.com. Jonah Carey is on the phone. 
So one thing that I always ask uh, ball players, ex-ball players, whatever, current ball players, is about when they get the call. The first time you get the call, you're 20 years old. So you knew you were a good prospect and all that stuff. Uh, September 74, tell me about how it went down. How did they inform you? Well, you know, you, you really don't know how you, you stand. You know, because uh, I remember with DDA yeah. in spring training, yeah. true story, he was... Uh, you know, back then, you know, we had the red, white, and blue hat. Yeah. Well, DDA used to blow a horn, you know, in spring training. You had to run from station to station. And if you got caught walking, you know, there was a lot of extra work for you. For sure. Unless you had on a white hat. <clears throat> and if you were wearing just a white hat, that meant that you were injured. But you got to noticing with DDA. If you, that guy wore that white hat very long, all of a sudden he just disappeared. Mm. So it was like, all right, you know, I don't, I don't think I want to wear one of those white Sprained hats. Sprained ankle, I don't care. Got right. Got it out. And so I, I pulled a, a groin. Yeah. And I didn't want to tell anyone. And so as soon as it was over with, and, you know, I went and got some BP. And, you know, and I figured if a little bit was good, a lot would oh, be good. And I painted that's a my tough area too. <laughs> area, and we were, you know, back then we slept. You know, we alternated, but we were in a room like this with bed, bed, cot in the middle. Yeah, and spring training. Yeah, and you, you know, you didn't have to sleep on the cot every night. It's like you, you, we had a three day rotation. Okay, and but that night I was on the cot. I remember that, and you know when you know when you first go to sleep, you get the the night sweats a little bit. I woke up and I was on fire. Oh! So then I go into the bathroom and I start throwing water on it. Well, <laughs> that just made it hotter. <laughs> and the old it was with the old Holiday Inn and and Daytona was a, you know they had air conditioning unit like yeah. this only they they were sort of square. Uh-huh. I slept. That night, laying on the air conditioner <laughs> so it would blow on my groin. And then the next morning, it was like I had to go see the trainer, you know. And yeah. Larry Amity was the trainer. And, then, and uh, he's like, don't you know that you're a prospect? <laughs> and I was like, no, all I know is them white hats kept leaving here. <laughs> I didn't want to wear one of them. And he said, well, you ain't going anywhere, you know. So, but at the time, you know, you... Uh, you know, you're not sure, but by the time you got to Quebec City, though, we're doing pretty, yeah. know, we've had a couple pretty good years yeah. now, you know. In fact, the whole organization was showing, uh, you know, a lot of talent. Oh, you know, unreal. And uh, uh, so we were, we got the call that night, and Cromarty and I, you know, as a, uh, we were, we got to call at the same time. Well, Crow happened to have, you know, he'd, uh, he'd spent his mo- bonus, you know, or some of his bonus on a, a, a new Grand Prix Pontiac. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he's like, all right, you drive, you know, my car, and we'll, you know, unless, you know, we got to make it to Montreal. And by, I forget what time, but uh-huh. we were flying out to go to Pittsburgh. Uh-huh. And so we drove, I don't know where the club wasn't leaving out of Montreal. They, they must have been on the road, you know. Yeah, yeah, that would make sense. 
And so we drove like crazy. You know, I don't remember how. Luckily, we didn't get we didn't get stopped that night. So two and a half drove, hour drive you did in twelve minutes. Yeah, we, you know, because we were pretty pretty excited. Yeah, you know? yeah of we're, course. We're going to the big league. Of course, you, know? you and Crow. And we're talking, and and we we uh, pull into the airport. You know, drop you know jump out of the car and catch our flight. And now we get to you know to Pittsburgh, and. You know, and we're on the same field that day with, you know, Stargell. They Stargell and all those guys. Really We've just team. seen them and, you know, they just won the World Series in 72. And, yeah. And here it is, you know, 74. And, and, man, we're on the same field with these guys, Steve Bass and Doc Ellis and all these guys. Yeah, Doc Ellis. And sure enough, the first game that we're there, and, you know, we're sort of thinking that, uh, all right, we got called up and we, you know, we might play a little bit. We probably probably won't get in that many games, but we're you know we're just happy to be here. Yeah. Uh, but we get to the ballpark that day, and, and uh, Gene called us into the office, and he goes, you know, uh, you know, we've been an expansion team, uh, but you young players are going to be you know you're the future of the organization, mm-hmm. and we're we're going to start. That process right now, you two guys are in the lineup tonight and you're playing. You know, and you're, you're sitting there and, you know, your, your heart's beating like crazy. Yeah. And you know, it's two in the afternoon and, you know, it's just still five hours away from game oh, time. Boy. But our leg, our baseball stuff did not show up. <laughs> You know, I don't know where it went to, but it did not show up. So now we got to go, you know, and we had never, we hadn't been to spring training with the club. Oh, wow. You never even So that. we didn't know any of these guys, you know, personally Just at all. Just you and Crow. <laughs> and now Crow and I got to walk around the locker room. Yeah. And borrow shoes. <laughs> and borrow gloves. And they, and you know, and of course the older guys, you know, they're, <laughs> you know, Ron Fairley and Breeden and those guys are going, hey, the rookies here, they played in a tough league this year. You know, they didn't even wear shoes. In the <laughs> they don't have a glove. You know, and you felt like, you know, you were about this high. You got Crow, though. Crow's a little bit of a wiseacre. I would assume even at that age that he could probably find a way to charm Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was. Uh, in a good way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he, could, he could always talk. Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, so we actually. We're facing Doc Kellis that night. Wow. First, first game in the big league. Yeah. Know, and we faced, faced Doc Kellis, you know, and, and, uh, uh, so it was, it was pretty exciting. I didn't know if my, you know, that was, uh, that was a game that when you went up to the, you know, to the plate the first time, you weren't sure that your legs, they were shaking so bad. I wasn't sure they were going to be able to hold me up, uh, you know, through the at bat. Uh, but, uh, Wound up getting a hit, you know, and, you know, after that, you, you know, you, I don't think, uh, I'm not going to say you felt like you belonged, but you relaxed sure. a little bit. Sure. You know. I was reading an interview you did, um, you were talking about Gene Mock, uh, who was the ma- first manager of the Expos, and legendary manager, Phillies, lots of places, and it's funny, there's a thread in this conversation that we've been having the idea of high school and lots of small town and you go over here and, and you're comparing yourself and you didn't even know you were a prospect. And there's, there's a very kind of charming self doubt in a way that you wouldn't have if you were 
LeBron James. LeBron James was anointed when he was a kid. Right. You were you were a very talented athlete, but you were not LeBron James. The interview, uh, you talked about how Gene helped you build some of that initial confidence. You were talented. You could play, but you had to have it in your head. How did Gene convey that to you? Well, it was just, I think it was a matter of, you know, and I know my dad was, uh, I don't know, he didn't pass that along. You know, I think my dad always felt like, uh, you know, he used to tell me, you know, they put their, you know, their pants yeah. on one leg at a time, just like you do. But I think I had, you know, I, I followed baseball so much and I loved it that, you know, that I was sort of in awe of the, of the guys I was playing against. I, I really couldn't believe I was on the field mm. with those guys. Yeah. And, uh, and I remember that I, I, uh, I played pretty good, you know, the, the month of, when I first got called out, yeah. but I wasn't really expecting much of myself, you know. But then the next spring training, I made the club, and now all of a sudden, it's like, all right, they're expecting you to play now. You're starting third baseman, right? Yeah. And <clears throat> I got off to a, you know, a, a slow start, and uh, I remember we were playing in Wrigley, you know, or, you know, in Chicago. And uh, these were day games at that time. And Gene, uh, after the game, he called me in uh, and said, you know, we're going to go out to eat tonight. You know, be in the lobby at whatever. I can't remember the time. Yeah. But, but be in the lobby, we're going to go out to eat. And I'm thinking, you know, you know the, whole, the whole time up to that, it's like, all right, well, this is, this is a nice way of him telling me, you know, they're, they're going to send me down. Tonight, oh gosh. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, uh, but then we, you know, we sat there and we talked and chatted and we, we ate. I mean, can you imagine today sitting with, sitting down to eat with the big league manager? I mean, you know, just one on one when you're 21 yeah, years yeah, old. When you're, yeah. And, uh, but we sat and talked and, you know, I can't remember much about what the conversation was about. We didn't really didn't talk that much about baseball. Yeah. You know, while we dined. But then after that, then he started talking to me about, you know, I've been in the game a long time. Mm -hmm. I've seen a lot of good players come and go. And, and see, I had been a fan of, of Gene's uh, as a kid. I got, I was hooked on the, the 64 team. That was great. In Philadelphia. When it's a wild with, season. Yeah, oh. with, you know, with Richie Allen yeah. at that time. And yeah. Johnny Callison. Yeah. And Ashburn and all those guys. And uh, so, you know, I used to, you know, it's funny. It was like I could get, somehow I could get that station on the radio. Interesting. And I would Lord, listen wow. to the game at night in bed. Yeah. And, you know, in the Phillies. And it was, you know, because they were, uh, and then they, Obviously, you know, could uh, <laughs> fulfill expectations. Yeah, you know, really, you know, had a disastrous last couple yeah. of weeks. Which is unfortunate because it's such a good team. People, they get remembered for the end, but my goodness, what a yeah, great what a, team that was. A, yeah. And so I, you know, I was familiar with who Gene was. Sure. You know, before I ever played for him. Sure. And, uh, uh, you know, when he started, you know, basically told me, you know, that he knew baseball. And he knew players when he seen one, and that I was a big league player, mm. and that that 
but I seem to be the only one that didn't think of myself as a big league player. Yeah. And uh, he said, you know, you belong here, but you need to go out on the field and show you belong here. Yeah. And I think that, you know, after that, you know, that night you, you know, you went back to the room and it's like, wow. Well, if he thinks, you know, that, you know, he's seen a lot of players. If he thinks I'm a big leaguer, then I must be, you know, and, and I think after that, the, you know, I started believing that, you know, uh, you know, that I belong. Yeah. Yeah. That's really nice. So it was, uh, you know, I just want to say I was very, you know, something I, you know, that I'll never forget, you know, having, uh, having a guy do that. I want to ask you about Jerry Park, too. I was born in 74, so just a little bit too young to have experienced it as a fan, despite being born and raised in Montreal. But I've talked to Rusty about it. I've talked to Rogers about all those guys. And there's so many stories. Dave Van Horn, the best. I've talked to him many yeah. times, and he says that um, the infamous that they had to stop the game for 20 minutes because if you threw a ball from – you were the third baseman. Yes. You would know. You could behead your first baseman because he literally he couldn't could see the ball. not see the ball. Right, things like that. The so, sun went down, you know, <laughs> in that uh, in that left field corner. Yeah, in the stands, you know, it was a, it was the old uh, uh, Montreal Royals Triple A club. Yeah, it was like a semi pro. Yeah, right. Yeah, and and all they did was you know build some stands up. Yeah, I don't even think it was. I think they played at the Lormier Downs. I don't even think it was that. I think it was like a semi pro league. I think it was like three thousand fans. Oh, yeah. yeah, it was even less than that, but it was not equipped for major league baseball right. in any way. And, and they didn't have locker rooms. No. So they built you know the locker room you know down the right field line and the left field line. Yeah. And, uh, you know, almost like they they renovated you know minor league ballpark. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. And uh, you know the dugouts were like. You stood down in them, and you were like almost like ground level. Yeah, and uh, and they were real long. I mean, you, the whole team was on the bench. You know, the bullpen, they yeah. had, you know, all the guys. Were, yeah. were, the whole team was on the bench. And uh, but the you know the only thing that that I remember though is you know real tough for a right-handed hitter. You know, the wind blew in. Yeah, every, you know, like from third to first every day. That so you think you got one and went. dies at the warning track? Oh yeah, I've yeah. seen I've seen guy I've seen outfielders catch the ball there with their back, their left fielder with their back to the infield, thinking that and it's going to go. Would, yeah, the ball would come back. Wow, and they would you know it would almost go out of the ballpark and come back <laughs> for an out. Yeah, wow. And uh, you know it was a pretty big stadium. I mean, yep. you know dimensions of it like three forty, four twenty to center. Uh, now later in my career, if I would have played there, I would have I could have hit a bunch of homers because I knew how to hit the ball to right center field. Yeah. I knew how to block it and get it in the air to yeah. right center field. Because uh, the old uh, when I got to the American League, the the Toronto Stadium was like that exhibition stadium, yeah, and it blew like that. And I liked playing there. I just blocked that ball out to right center. <laughs> But as a kid coming up, I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to do that. Yeah. You know, and when you hit one that you thought was a homer and it didn't go, the only thing you, you know, you tried to swing harder and hit it harder and hit it further. And I think it, you know, it, the ballpark sort of affected uh, me a little bit. Mentally or confidence? Uh, 
Well, just getting into bad habits. Yeah. You know, trying to do more yeah. and trying to swing harder. And, uh, uh, you know, and like I said, uh, you know, I would, at my age, uh, I would have been better suited, you know, later in my career. You know, I could have just adjusted and went with it. Sure. Uh, now, uh, you know, left-handed hitters, though, it was paradise. Rusty. Yeah. Yeah. You know, or for a, a right-hander that could hit it, you know, that could hit yeah, it yeah. over there. But most, most, you know, like I said, most of us, uh, most of the young guys, you know, weren't able to do that. But I can remember, like, we played at Pirates. You know, they'd have, I mean, we had trouble keeping the ball in the ballpark. Well, we were killing people in the time. The, that's the famous story. So the story yeah. goes, it's in the book as well. Yeah. The story goes that the swimming pool was, to hit it on the fly was like 450 roughly. Mm. And they literally changed the name of the swimming pool. They called it La Piscine de Willy, which meant Willie's swimming pool. As yeah. in Willie Starzl's swimming pool because he always hit the ball well, in the I'm pool. Telling, they had, you know, at that time, you know, they had Al Oliver and Starzl. Al Oliver, he later got traded for. Probably. Right. Yeah. You know, he could hit. Stargell. Yeah, McCovey was in the yeah. early days in the 70s yes. doing some things. McCovey, McCovey could, could just pepper you know, that he could, and he, could he was a beast. Him. Yeah. Uh, but, the, you know, the, but the left-handers for the Pirates could pull it and hit it out. Yeah, yeah. But all their right-handers, Richie Zisk, hit the ball to right center field. Yeah. You know, Hebner could pull it. Yeah. But Richie Zisk, St. and all those guys... Were right-handers, but they hit the ball to right center. So I mean, you ever seen a club that was tailor-made to play in Jari Just Park? Just turning her back. Was 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 that, oh, was that pirate club at that time? Yeah, you know, and our poor pitchers, you know, <laughs> they took a beating when the pirates come to town. Yeah, uh, and at that time we didn't have, uh, you know, uh, didn't have the staff yet. Yeah. Steve was there. He was starting. Steve, I mean, he was getting Steve good. Was but. But didn't have Sanderson or Gully or any of those none guys. None of those yeah. guys. Yeah. And, you know, we had Dale Murray, you know, yeah. as a closer. Yeah. Which was amazing in that ballpark. Uh, with the wind blowing out to right. And he went, he pitched like 277 innings or something like that without giving up a home run. Holy cow. Uh, but he, you know, his specialty though was, was a lead pipe sinker. Yeah, that's right. Or, you know, him and Marshall. He just couldn't get it in a couple the air. Of years yeah. There, yeah. But, uh, but the rest of them, you know, we, you know, we had, well, we had Steve Rinko and, yep. and Stoneman. Yep. Uh, they could, but they weren't, they could pitch some good games, but they weren't. They weren't all-stars. Right. Um, so you guys moved to the Olympic Stadium, and the difference in atmosphere would be very different. Now, the Olympic Stadium was never anything to look at or anything like that, but fans showed up. Those, that's 79, 78, 79, 80, that stretch that became the place to go, and this was a hockey town. It's always been a hockey town, but when you get to the late 70s and early 80s, that shift happened. And we'll get to the 79 season in particular because a lot of stuff happened then. But tell me about the general feeling of, do you feel like, oh, wait, now we're a big league ball club. We're not playing in a minor league park. We've got people coming out. It has to be a different kind of thing, it, I would it, imagine. It, it was, you know, it was. You know, it was, of course, when we, when we first come up, we probably didn't. We were so young. Yeah, it's just, it's big we were, leagues, we were just glad to be there. Yeah. That's what I say, you know, because we all come up, uh, you know, pretty much together. Yeah. And, uh, but by the time we got to Jory Park, uh, I meant to Olympic Stadium. Yeah. Uh, you know, we were, you know, that nucleus was starting to be there. Dawson was there, Carter was and, there. And, you know, Ellis was there, yeah. and Crow, and, and it was, uh, 
you know, we were, we were starting to, to, to get pretty good. Mm-hmm. You know, some pictures were starting to come and, uh, and then we, you know, we just needed, uh, to me, we needed one, one thing. And, uh, and that was the guy to sort of help you get over the hump. Yeah. And that was Tony Perez. Yeah. Doggy. You know, Doggy was, you know, he'd been, you know, with, uh, with Cincinnati and he'd been that, uh, you know, he was the RBI, the big RBI guy there, mm-hmm. you know, and he was, you know, he came well respected when he came there. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, it was just his presence, and, you know, his talking to, to younger guys, uh, really was a, you know, the, the thing that sort of got us over the hump, you know, got us believing that we were, you know, we could compete with anybody. Yeah. Dick Williams and Tony Perez, two Hall of Famers. Interesting. Uh, that 79 season was unbelievable. I mean, that Pittsburgh team goes on to win the World Series, and that becomes the first of, I think, three or four years in a row where the Expos almost win, and the team that they lose to is the team that wins, wins the, World the World Series, Series every single time. And that 79 Pirates team was ridiculous because by then it's not just those other Pirates guys. Now Cobra's in his prime. Now you got more guys. Kenta Colby, I think, is right. killing people in the that was That was a guy that probably had as much uh, to do with us uh, that year. You know, we were we were predominantly right-handed hitting club. Very and much he, so. And he was, you know. He Side was, armor. He couldn't hit him. Right. He yeah. was tough as nails. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> and that was, a, you know, the story of those those type pitchers. You know, they eat up right-handers, sometimes have trouble with left-handers. Cecilio Guante. There's a couple of those guys. We didn't have, yeah. you know, we didn't have that left-handed, you know, bat in yeah. You know, Crow hit left-handed, but he wasn't... Singles and doubles. Yeah, he yeah. wasn't, a, you know, the, the three-run homer guy. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, you couldn't send him up there when we needed it and go, all right, you know, get to Kobe. You know, we got right. a couple guys on base, all right, you know. You know, we needed that guy. You know, he and he gave us, you know, he gave us trouble. Really. Right. You know, there's no doubt. But but still, I mean, Willie Stargell that year, I mean, it, I don't know if you look at it and it was meant to be, uh, but uh, I think at the All-Star break, you know, he had like six homers. Yeah. And, you know, he's he was getting older, older yeah. at that time. You're he's thinking, all right, maybe he's, you no, know, he's done. He's not done. <laughs> And then the second half, you know, he just put them on his shoulders. And, yeah. and I think that that month of September that year, we won. Double headers every day. Uh, Rain and double headers. The Dan Shockstater double header where he's got the mud in his spikes. And there's these stories, these lore stories right. that are lost to the ages, but just eight double headers or something in September. It was preposterous. Yeah, we went, uh, I think we went to uh, play a double header in Montreal. Yeah. All right. On a Sunday, we left there. We went to Shea Stadium, double header, double header. Yeah, I mean, we played three double headers <laughs> in three days. You would never do that. Never now. There's no that. scenario. I don't care about you right now. And it's then never. we went from there to St. Louis to play two. Yeah, I think it was. Then we went to Philadelphia. You know, and it rains. In Philly for Friday. Well, they got after turf from the Zamboni. Yeah. We stayed there until, like, <laughs> one in the morning <laughs> before they called them. Oh, my God. So now, 
So we really didn't get back to the hotel any earlier. Come back, we play a doubleheader Saturday. Play Sunday. Then we go to Pittsburgh. Mm -hmm. Play a doubleheader on Monday. (laughs) Play Tuesday, Wednesday. Now we go to Atlanta to play a doubleheader. (laughs) And they got a hurricane, you know, coming through. Yeah. Up the coast. Yeah, of course. We sat there. And Dick, I'll never forget, you know, he'd get to the ballpark, and he was like, hey, uh, Billy Williams was the umpire, and, mm. and Dick goes, hey, you know, get us out of here. Call this game so we can get back to Montreal at a decent time. Mike, you know, he talked about all the double-headed, well, Dick made him pissed him off. Now, they won't call the game. Oh, we sat there till like midnight in Atlanta before they call it. Wow. We get back to, to Montreal and Mirabelle. Yeah. At like 5.30 in the morning. Yeah. You know, and now we got a game against Philadelphia that night, you know, Saturday and Sunday. And then Schmidt hits the home run on Sunday. Yeah. But if we, if we win that game. Yeah. We got to go back to Atlanta. To play the double. That's, so that's eighty already. Yeah, at that point. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's it's just it was insane. The seventy nine and eighty, the, the yeah. things that could have happened that didn't happen. It was just you yeah. could count them and count the double headers and the injuries yeah. and Carter hurt his ankle at one point yeah. and then, and Rogers. I think it was just like there were so many things. Just, yeah. And well, even eighty one. Well, yeah. If they had the dome there. Yeah, because that game you know, gets called. On, on Sunday, it wasn't that cold. Valenzuela doesn't get to pitch again. Right. Credit Ray you know, Burris, by the way, who was him, yeah. who was you know uh, you know having the you know year the, of his life, year of his life, yeah. you know, come out of nowhere and he had to pitch that people weren't used to seeing. You know, no one, you know, no one threw screwball at you no. like that. Not since and, like Carl Hubble. Yeah, yeah. And, and he wasn't going to be able to pitch on Sunday. Yeah, because it was two days rest. Right. Yeah, I think Jeff Zahn was going to pitch. Right. And we get they call it because of you know you know rain or snow or whatever, and then and then you like know Monday, you know Valenzuela is able to pitch on Monday, yeah. and then, but still, I mean, we that game, I mean, you still think about the, uh, you know Olympic Stadium at that time. You didn't see that many balls go out, no, to center field, no. I mean, and was, it's because October it's cold. Yes, you know, and the, the way it was. Shape the wind sort of come over, you know, the egg out there. Yeah, it was a doubles park. You had doubles, and it, you know, you you know, if you hit it down the lines, it would go. But when you hit it in the center, forget it. You know, and when when that twelve foot wall too, yeah, right, and yeah. when that ball was hit, you just you know, just like no chance. Hawk got it. Yeah, you know, he hit it good, but Hawk's gonna. Of course he has it. And you keep seeing him go back, and he's like, all right, he's gonna stop, and then he, you know, he catch it, you know. I mean, you really, I mean, I didn't think it was a home run until it disappeared. Yeah. And Monday was a good ball player, but it's not Sargil. You know what I no, mean? Like, right. Yeah. Right. Now, the one that Sargil hit there was. Oh, yeah. The one on the Red Sea. It's 535 feet. You can still play a pilgrimage. I think it's you know, still painted yellow. I'm painted red right now or yellow now. Yeah, it's so funny because yeah. uh, when he hit, you know, that game. Yeah. Uh, we had just called up, you know, like 
Sanderson and Gullickson and all those guys. <laughs> Good and luck. The young, you know, the kids were... Charlie Lee, yeah. Bench. David Palmer. And uh, Palmer, yeah, yeah, right. Good pitchers. Charlie Lee. Very good pitchers. You know, and first time up, Twitcher was thrown. And poor, you know, Twitch just, uh, you know, he threw that... Yeah. He wasn't like the Colby way down here, but he was sort the of a guy. guy. Yeah, yeah. And he was, a, you know, he was tough on righties, yeah. but lefties, he couldn't get no. off. And started to, if you were going to do anything, you had to tie him up inside. Yeah. Well, his ball wouldn't stay in there. No. <laughs> it kept running back out, and he just... 535 oh. feet. Well, the first time up, he hit, you know, he hit a fastball off of him straight away center field. Yeah. But still, I mean, the ball just went over the fence. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, he, and, and uh, you know, but because you didn't see that many... Uh, you know, when you come off the field, you know, you could hear the, you know, some of those guys talking. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, I just said, uh, he didn't hit that. Where do you see him hit one? You know, like that. I mentioned that. Right? Yeah. The next time he comes up, <laughs> Twitch will try to get that slider nope. in here. <laughs> oh, my God. When he hit that thing, our, you know, our whole dugout emptied. Because it was like, it ain't about if it's a homer. <laughs> it's like, how far is it going to go? And, and, oh, man, that thing. And because of the scope of that stadium, when there was a ball that was hit far, it almost seemed like the possibilities were limitless. And I was a little young for that game. But I went to a game, after you were already in Texas at this point, it was opening day 88, and poor Randy St. Clair, and right on to be a great pitching coach and so forth, he ended up getting the ball. Is in relief, and Daryl Strawberry hit one out. Roof, oh, roof shot, and it just or, or like it was going to hit the roof actually, and it bounced back onto the field. Right. And it would have gone out right. five hundred and something. And you just because that stadium was so immense, it just when a guy connected, it's like what is going to happen to this ball? Because there's lights and there's weird things going on and all that. So heck, I mean, soon to be Hall of Famer Vladimir Guerrero hit a couple of shots that were like that too. Yeah. For you, and I just want to ask you just to close the chapter on that era. You really came on 78, 79, and, and became a top-flight player, made the all-star team and so forth. I, it's got to be bittersweet, obviously, because you'd like to win the World Series and all that. But in, in a career in which, as a kid, as a minor league, you even come up in the big leagues, you had doubt. Did it click for you? Did it say, I'm on the all-star team. I'm standing next to Stargell. I be- I'm next right. to Steve Carlton. I belong. Now I'm here. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah, and it was, uh, uh, you, you know, it's like I had... You know, my career was, uh, was a lot of times when I got rolling, it seemed like I, you know, I would have a, uh, uh, I had some major injuries. Yeah, you know, that wrists. really, yeah. you know, bothered me, you know, and in like 79, you know, it was like 78, it was like, all right, I, I sort of figured out, I backed off the plate yeah. and started using the middle of the field more and I, Quit trying to pull the ball, and I hit the breaking ball better. I was adjusting to that, and all of a sudden, it was, I felt like, all right, I'm, I'm coming. Uh, you know, it's like I feel like I can play now with everybody. Yeah. You know, and then '79 comes along, and 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 like you said, it feels like I, you know, I feel like I can. You know, you made the All Star team with these guys, and it felt like, all right, you know, sure. I belong with any of them. Sure. And then you, you know, start the '80 season. That was the best start I ever got off to in my career. I think I had like seven homers and thirty something ribbies on on May the second. Oh wow! And uh, <clears throat> and 
the, the bat before uh, uh, Ed Whitson's pitching. Ed Whitson, Padre. And he threw uh, a, I think a slider, yeah. you know, out of part of the plate, and I hit a double to the left center. And so the next at bat, you know, I think because, you know, I hit a, he thought I'd hit a pretty good pitch, but, you know, he threw one up and in. And, but it really wasn't that in my head. I mean, yeah. it was just a you know, back off pitch. Yeah. But I didn't see it. You know, the, the, the shadows yeah. in the day games yeah. were brutal. Uh, it just like it just stayed between home plate and pitcher's mound. Yeah. And you've seen a lot of guys get, you know, get hit there. Ellis the face, Harris, you know, because yeah. just, they just, you just lose it. Yeah. And you didn't know which way to go. Yeah. And I know, you know, whistled through this pitch, and it's like, I lost it. Oh, gosh. And it's like, I'm standing there, you know, and it's like, I, I don't have a clue where it is. And then I pick it up, and it's, the ball's like, you know, it's like three or four feet out in front of me, you know. And I take my left hand off the bat. I get my left, but I'm still holding it in my right. And the ball ah. hit here, and, and uh, I got it. You can see I still have yeah, a knot yeah. to this day. I got a com- what they call a compression fracture, and it fractured one of the little bones in mm-hmm. here. Well, the thing wouldn't, it just wouldn't heal. Yeah. And uh, I wound up, you know, playing the rest of that year because we were we were doing well. Uh, and But I just couldn't hold a bat. Yeah, you can't afraid of his own. Yeah, you know, uh, you know, I'd sort of give in one way or the other. I'd sort of give in this way, or or roll it a little bit and hit a ground ball that on a pitch that I should have hit well, and and then we went into the uh, eighty one season, and I was still, you know, I took the winter off and it didn't help. Yeah, still, you know, and I went to see. Uh, I actually went to see a doctor, you know, I went to see Joe, that, you know, that office. Yep. They sent me to San Francisco to see Dr. Uh, Stark, mm-hmm. who was supposed to be the number one risk guy at that time. And, uh, he told me he's, he's, he's like, uh, you know, there's so many little bones in there. He said, uh, if you were an accountant, I would operate on it. But he says, you know, because you're a, profile athlete, I won't touch it because I can't guarantee I can fix it. Yeah. And I was like, well, if I was an accountant, I wouldn't need it operating. It only <laughs> sure. hurts when I try to swing a baseball bat. Yeah. And, and we went, you know, with the strike, we went on strike right after that. Yeah. And, uh, so, you know, and I had, I'd asked him, you know, I was like, where, you know, what can I do? And he's like, well, to tell you the truth. I think you might all have start thinking about another career. Wow. Because uh, he said, I can't see it getting any better. You're in your 20s at this point. You don't want to hear this. Right. I'm, I'm yeah. The prime I'm, of your career. I'm like, late I 20s. should be in the, yeah. my prime, in yeah. the late 20s. And so uh, we went on strike for, I don't know. Two months. Two months, yeah. I think it was. Well, I built, I went home and, you know, I'd had cows and all like that, so... Uh, I'm thinking I'm going to have to, you know, get more cows and stuff. So this is probably going to be, you know, my 
livelihood. Yeah. And, uh, but I had to, I rebuilt, uh, I tore down some cattle pens that I had and rebuilt, you know, built some new ones. And I swung a hammer every day. Oh. You know, <laughs> pulling and hitting, you know, and, and, and you were driving it in, the, you know, hard wood. And so, you know, 16 penny nails in the hard wood. So you were having a, you strengthen it. Whack it. Yeah. You know. And I think, you know, just because, you know, using that hammer every day, I kept sending blood uh. to the wrist area. Yeah. And when the strike was over and I came back, I was no more problem. Wow. No more pain. Wow. And so I wound up, you know, the, the, uh, the month of September of that year in 81, you know, I went off again. That's you know. And uh, so that was, you know, a great feeling, you know, for, especially for me because it's like, all right, I'm back. I can swing the bat again, you know. So I went through, went through that, and uh, it was, you know, and we had uh, we had talked about. I talked to Billy Demars a bunch, you know, at third base, mm-hmm. and so we had, uh, you know, we were at the point where we were making a change for a hitting coach, and so. I talked to John McHale about this, yeah. hitting uh, Billy DeMars as a hitting coach. And we get Billy, and then I got traded. You know, so, you so it was disappointing for, disappointing for me uh, because I was looking forward to, you know, working with him. And, you know, and, it's, and you know the Expos were all I had known. And they're getting better, not only the other guys, but now Reigns is second in Rookie of the Year balloting, and now the pitchers yeah. are coming into their own. It seems like, well, we just almost made it to the World Series. Yeah, this we, could have been something great. We lost to the, the Pirates, like you said, on like the last day of the Phillies, season. second to last They day. won the World Series. Yep. You know, we lost to the Phillies, and they won the World Series. Dodgers. And then we lost to the Dodgers in the playoffs, and they won the World yep. Series. And and uh, and you thought, you know, that, you know, one of these years is, you know, it's going to be our turn. If the wild card existed, those are all playoff years, but yeah. all of them. Yeah. And, and then, uh, you know, I got traded in the spring and it was, it was, it was tough. Yeah. Uh, you know, to leave, uh, uh, you know, it was, you know, it was sort of like your girlfriend dumping you. It's been a you de- know? almost a decade you're in that organization since you were a kid. You come yeah. of age. You were traded for a very good player. I guess that's right. a good concept. A very, very good player. So that's something, but uh, still, that's just got to be tough. And by the way, you know, different organization, those Rangers teams, not very good, but you achieved quite a level of success. You know, you're starting to hit yeah. 25 bombs and 30 bombs, and you found your way there and did have a second career. So it seemed like the injuries healed at least, and although you didn't have the team accomplishments, the personal accomplishments started coming yeah, into place. 256 career home runs. That's a lot of home runs. There aren't that many yeah. guys that can say that. And, uh, you know, it was, uh, you know it's, especially I look back and, uh, you know, it, you know, Montreal, I think, was, a, you know, some of the ballparks were sort of tough yeah. for a home run uh, to come by. And then I got traded to Texas, and that was one of the one of the worst, you know, to win, uh, you know, another minor league ballpark. Yeah. Uh, you know, you look at what Texas has now, yeah. it was like, boy, when, when I played there, no. <laughs> you know, it was, a, you know, we were back to the same thing. You know, clubhouse was down the left and right field lines because uh, they had, you know, Added on to a minor league, you know, double A ballpark, mm-hmm. and uh, so it was. Uh, it's sort of funny, you know. In my career, uh, you know, I played in 
two out of three ballparks basically I played in were, you know, renovated minor league ballparks, wow. you know, when I was in a big league. Yeah. And, uh, you know, a couple tough places, you know, for right-handed hitters to hit. Park Jari was real tough for the first few years. And yeah. Then, like I said, down in Texas, uh, it was tough. And then the new ballpark in Texas, you know, they changed it around and the ball took off, took off, flew yeah. out of there to center and right center. Oh, yeah. And, uh, it was like, man, where was this ballpark when <laughs> I, you know, when I played? I just got a couple more for you. Um, I've talked to Steve Rogers, I've talked to other guys about this. There's a great mystery about that team. Literally, not forget about John McKellar. Sports Illustrated at the beginning of the 80s said the Expos are the team of the 80s. They're going to be a dynasty, they're going to dominate, everything's going to be great. Very good teams, didn't win anything. And Rogers and some other people have argued that trading you away was a factor, not just your homers and RBIs. But the leadership void, that you were a guy who was stand up in the clubhouse, came up with the other, so everybody knew you, obviously, and that loss was tough. And you go on to become a manager and a coach and so forth. And I'm always interested in this question about leadership and about chemistry, because everybody thinks that it's a big deal, but nobody can quantify it. What do you make of those aspects of the game? you got to have talent to win. Are we talking enough about it, not enough about these intangibles? I think they're I think they're more important than people. Interesting. Uh, than, I think people. Uh, I think people understand that they're important. Yeah. They don't know how to put a finger on it. Because, yeah. Because it isn't something you can try to be. No. Uh, I know they tried to make Gary the leader. Yeah. You know, the team. You know Gary was a very he was a great player, phenomenal player. But he but he wasn't. In baseball the terms, of the team. in baseball terms, not a red ass. You could say about Gary right. Carter. Right. Look, very gregarious, nice fellow. Right. Yeah. But he wasn't the leader. No. You know, and uh, you know, and I think I—that's uh, one of the things that I sort of took upon myself. Yeah. Uh, I used to go down to bullpen and listen to the, you know, and listen to the pitch coaches talk to the pitcher. Yeah. And. Uh, you know, like Jim Brewer, you know, be working with the guys. And and, and I would uh, try to find out things, you know, key things for that particular pitcher. Mm-hmm. Because pitching coach can only come out there, you know, one time in an inning. You know, and if it come out the second time, yeah. he's gone. Yeah. So I felt like if I could if I could come up, with, you know, learn this pitcher, you know, then I could go to the mound and I could help this guy get through an inning. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's like if you can get through that inning and take a deep breath, then he's he's okay. Yeah. And so I I felt like that was you know that was one of the things that 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 I brought to the pitching staff. You know, and you know I you know it's you know it's, it's something sort of hard to talk about yourself, but I know that some of the pitchers. You know, mentioned that, that, you know, they felt like when I was at third, that yeah. they could come inside and they didn't worry about, you know, if I plunked a guy. Yeah. I didn't worry about him getting to the mound. Because you were going to take him down. Right. And where, uh, you know, after that, it was like that was, you know, I heard, you know, I had a few of those guys, you know, Sanderson, Gullickson, you know, Rogers, they talk about, I didn't. And feel that anymore. Yeah. Huh. You know. It's an interesting one for sure. You know, and and I think those are, you know, that's not something you, you 
write about, you brag about. But it's it's the you know that's what I consider would be an intangible, For sure. and I think that that's what Tony Perez when we talked about it earlier what he brought. It was an intangible, but it was you know it was just one thing he might say to one guy and something you know like I know more myself. Uh, I used to have trouble scoring a guy from third base less than two outs. Yeah, it's like you know I'd always heard you know well you need to hit a fly ball, and I was like, all of a sudden I get a guy at third base, less than two outs. Now it's like I try to change my swing to try to lean back and get the ball in the air, Pop and it, it seemed like I either popped it yeah. up, or the one place I did you didn't want to hit it was a ground ball to third. Yeah, and then they throw it slow while I'm trying to lean back. I'd roll it over. Yeah, and hit a ground ball to third. And when we got Tony Perez, you know. Spring training, I can remember that was one of the first things, you know, that, that I wanted to talk to him about, you know. And, you know, you're, you've been a great RBI guy. You sure. know, what do you think about there? You know, what do you try to do to hit that fly ball, you know, to get the – he said, I don't try to hit a fly ball. Perfect. And I'm like, well, <laughs> he goes, how many times does a guy like you and I, if we hit a fly ball, just normal swinging, we hit a fly ball the outfield, how many times are they deep enough to score a guy from third? Most of them. Yeah. I said, exactly. And he says, the battle, he said, don't try to change your swing. The battle's between you and the pitcher. And he said, it doesn't matter how many runners are out there, whether the bases are loaded, second, third, guy at third. battle's still between you and the pitcher. Hmm. And you try to stay in the middle of the field and drive the ball and hit it hard. And if you do that and you win that battle, the RBIs will be just a result. Yeah. You'll get them. And he just made the, you know, he made being an RBI guy easier. Hmm. And then you realize, it's, you know, it's, it's the way you think, you know. And, you know, I know coaching, uh, you know, it's, it's so much mental, you know, between, you know, RBI guys. Because I've seen it in the minor leagues uh, where it seemed like if a guy, you know, he starts out in a ball, if he drives in runs. He continues to drive him. Hmm. And if he doesn't, it's hard to, to ever get him to be that yeah. guy. And I know uh, I had a I had a shortstop. He's a Canadian guy named uh, Danny Clawson. Okay. Played for me at, at Toledo. Yeah. That guy should have been a should have been a good big league player. Hmm. He could play shortstop. And batting practice, he, I mean, he could hit with, with anybody, you know, that we had. You know, we had Marcus Timms and some guys like that, you know, that, that uh, it's some pretty good years. For sure. Year. And Danny could hit with them in batting practice. But the game, he just, you know, it didn't happen for him. Yeah. You know, and I can remember one day, you know, he was on the bench and Danny. And so let's sit down and talk, you know, and we started talking and I said, you know, we're playing tonight, you know, and... We're up by one run. You know, they got a couple men on base and two out. I said, where do you want the ball to hit? Be hit. He said, I want it to be hit to me. He said, hit to me. Game's over. We win. I said, all right. Now, let's put just change that around, all right? We got two men on base. We're down a run. And it's the bottom of the night. I said, 
who you want up there hitting? He said, Marcus Temp. <laughs> <laughs> and I go, no, no. Uh, I said, you got to want to be up there. Yeah. You know, yeah. but that was, uh, but that, you know, that was the part that we just, you know, we never could, you know, unlock that, you know, what he had. You know, yeah. and I think it, you know, you know, he comes to mind because he's a player that, that, you know, I, I don't know what else I could have said to him, but he's he's one guy that I felt like the, hmm. he was a big leaguer if I could have said the right thing. Hmm. I want to quickly ask you about your time in Japan because I find Japanese baseball stories to be the best. Again, you, Quebec City, that's new to you. Japan, that's new to you. You go over there, was it extreme culture shock? Was it, wow, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen? Did he treat you differently? How what was that like for you? It was it was uh it was different there's parts of it you look back on it and you uh, it was it was great yeah uh, you know it was long yeah you know at times because uh, there wasn't any you know English TV there wasn't no English radio or anything yeah. like that when you went on the road trip uh, you know it's funny over here in the states you know the a lot of times uh, you know Players' wives, you know, would complain that you're going on the road. You know, you guys get to go on the road. You leave us back here with the kids, you know, and all that. Yeah. Well, in Japan, it was just the opposite. It was like they got to stay home in their little environment with the kids and play. Yeah. And the guy went on the road with, you know, was, uh, uh, you know, there wasn't much, there wasn't much to do for you, you know, right. because you didn't, you know, you didn't speak the language and, and, uh, Especially when you first, you know, you first got over there, you know, and they had a, you know, they had an interpreter there for you to travel with you, but, you know, he don't want to spend all his time with you. Of course. And, you know, I mean, he's having to work to interpret everything at the ballpark. He doesn't want to have to continue that when he goes, you know, gets, you know, he needs his time. Yeah. You know, but, uh, uh, you know, and, The play uh, was, uh, you know, some of the players were very good. I mean, a lot of the pitchers, uh, you know, position player-wise, there wasn't, you know, each team might have, you know, one or two guys that could, yeah. that could play over here. And then the rest of them, uh, you know, it was really as much like the, you know, you see a lot of the Latin mm-hmm. you know, hitters. It's like you hardly ever see very many 250 and 260 uh, Latin hitters, and there wasn't many Japanese 250 and 260. Either yeah. guy could really hit. Or not at all. Or not at all. Yeah. You know, a lot of 200s and 300s. Yeah. And, you know, and that's why, you know, they came to the U.S. to get sure. a couple of hitters to go in there, sure. you know, fill out the, the lineup-wise. And, uh, but we had a, we had a shortstop over there that, that hit third in the lineup and, and uh, you know, he could have played over here. You know, he was 6'2", you know, mm-hmm. 185, 190, Icky Yaman. He could play shortstop, had the arm. He had, you know, you know, he hit 30-something homers a year over there. He wouldn't have hit that many homers over here. Yeah, but 18, hit 280. Right, but, he, but he would have been a very good player. Yeah. Uh, but they had a ton of pitchers. You know, yeah. Nomo come over here, and, I mean, there was like 10 guys over there better than, than him. Really? Yeah. Wow. There was a team in Hiroshima had two left-handers. There was Kawaguchi and Ono. Both of those guys were very good. But mm. 
but they were older, and at that time, yeah. they did. You know, you didn't come over here. No. And you know, those guys, you know, were treated like, you know, gods. Yeah. You know, I mean, because they could, uh, you know, Japan very much. Uh, you know, they they like the sports where they can compete on. You know, basketball is not going to be very big there, but golf and baseball. And all the people that played were way up here, and and they were just everything. I mean, they got wherever they went. They were treated like, yeah, you know, uh, a king. Yeah. So it was like, why would they want to come over here and play? Right. You know, to be the number four starter, or the right. great hitter in the lineup, <laughs> right. or whatever. You know, when unless you're Ichiro or Dice K right. or whatever, yeah. or Darvish. Unless you're, you know, the very best. Yeah. You know, because I mean, they they were. You know, and the, uh, the baseball, like I said, was was, uh, was very good. The fans were unbelievable. Yeah, so much fun. Uh, it, was, it was much like uh, the atmosphere for the games is much like our college football. Yeah. You know, all the teams had their fight songs. Yeah. You know, and everything was a little, you know, in your own style, you know. Yeah. And uh, all of them were different. And, and, boy, I mean, they could get the place rocking. And, and, and they were... Not so much into, you know, they wanted to win, but they appreciated uh, much more than in the States, I think. Uh, they appreciated numbers. Right. Uh, and I think, in, you know, it's, it's gotten better over here with, with, team, with guys moving teams and all like that. Uh, but at the time, uh, you know, you could be coming, you you come up to, to bat and... Your team could be down ten, you know, in the in the seventh, eighth inning, and they're cheering you on like, mm-hmm. you know, come on, baby, you know, hit hit one out, you know, and over here, you know, like the Dodger Stadium, they're gone for sure, you know. Uh, and you play for the Yakult Swallows, you know, so that really cool ball. I've seen a Yakult Swallows yeah. game out there, and it was so much fun. The atmosphere was so cool, yes. and people with the green umbrellas are so into right. It. It's That's so what fun. Say. It was it was fun. Yeah, you know, the games itself was fun, and yeah. the guy that uh, you know they sort of made the movie about Mister Baseball. You know that man, yeah. the manager and was in Hoshino uh, uh, was in Nagoya. Yep. And, I mean, he was tough, man. I mean, he was the old, uh, you know, oh, sort of a Woody Hayes type guy. Yeah. Drill sergeant. I mean, I've seen guys come off the field over there messing up. And he, I mean, he'd get behind him and yell at him, oh. and then, you know, whop him upside the oh, head. Boy. And all stuff like Bobby that. Knight stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. And, uh, but he was, you know, yeah. if you play against him, you realize he was a very astute baseball wise, but he was, you know, he was able to do things. Things like you said, a Bobby Knight or, or Woody Hayes got away with that. Yeah, uh, you know some of the treating of players like that, you know, a little hard for sure. Uh, I remember their catcher over there. You know, there was a play at the plate, and I knocked the ball out of his hand. You know, scored a run, and you know it was just—I mean, it was a clean play. Yeah. it was. You know, nobody would have thought about anything about it in the, in the states. The next day, we show up at the ballpark, and they had a dirt infield, you know, and this guy is, you know, they got the cage there, you know, they're hitting him, but this guy's to the side of the cage, this catcher, and they got a guy with a, a shopping cart and a fungal bat hitting bullets at him, oh, and he's blocking him. 
no chest protector. Oh! Got a, got a mask, but no chest protector. Because of the shame of being run over. Oh, my God. And, I mean, he is, you know, you know, during the middle of summer, he's hot oh, and sweaty. Yeah. He's in the black dirt. And, I mean, he is covered. Oh. You know, and I'm like... You Dick know, Williams, who you played for, was tough. Right. But not like that. No. And you asked, uh, you know, the interpreters, like, what? He goes... You know, he lost face last night when he knocked the ball loose. They're they're punishing him. Holy cow. Wow. But that that was the thing, though. It was, uh, they had their own ideas. Mm -hmm. And you could not change them. Yeah. Especially if you said, this is how we did it in the States. Yeah. They did not want to hear that. No. Uh, You know, because they took a lot of pride in in some of the stuff that they did. But, uh... But I, you know, I didn't try to, to change them, but there was, uh, you know, they would have two <clears throat> cages going with live hitting going in both of them. Coaches down both lines hitting balls to the outfielders and, and there were guys hitting balls, to, you know, to infielders. And it was like, it was chaotic. And I mean, every day we would have guys in the training room with ice on their head where they got hit by flat wow. balls and stuff. And it's like, you know, this is nuts. Tone it down a little. <laughs> you know, we had three trainers, but the third trainer, young guy, very smart, worked with Dr. Andrews over here. Oh, well. But when he went home, because of seniority over there, which is more important, mm-hmm. he was the third guy. And he couldn't say anything. No. He just had to. He'd go, hey, Japanese way. Wow. And so, so I said, you know, I went to the, you know, through the interpreter, I said, uh, you know, we had the practice field behind the stadium there. Yeah. And I, I told him, I said, uh, I said, I don't feel comfortable with balls flying over my head, you know, while I'm trying to take ground balls. Yeah. I think it takes away from my getting ready. Yeah. I said, if it was okay with you, I would like to show up at 3 o'clock, go to the practice field, get my ground ball work in. Yep. And then come back over to the main field and take batting practice. Yes. If that's okay with mm-hmm. you guys. And they go, yes. That's, that's, you know, I didn't tell them that what they were doing was wrong. Yeah. I said, just, just what I would like to do. And so I did that for... I don't know, a couple of days, and the shortstop Ikiyama showed up over there. You know, and the next, you know, and, and he took his ground balls. The next day, second baseman showed up. <laughs> you know, before you know it, we had a whole infield. Over there. Sure. We did our work before the game. We yeah. could turn double plays without ducking and yelling mm-hmm. people. Duck! Hey, look out! <laughs> and and then we go over and take batting practice. Yeah. But it was because, you know, that I didn't say that. You didn't disrespect anybody. I didn't disrespect no. them. I just said, you know, this is what I would like to do. And they looked at it and go, hey, that ain't bad. That's good. And, and, you know, like you said, it was, it's all about, you know, and they're very big over there about saving face and, and, mm. and treating. Uh, and so I, you know, I, like you said, I went over there. I knew I was. At the end of my career, you know, it was a collusion was going on yeah. over here, and, and it was it was a way for me to play a couple more years and make some good money, and, and and you know, I didn't try to reinvent the wheel when I went over there, and and the uh, 
the hitting coach I had over there was one of the best I ever had in the game. Mm. And uh, uh, just a really good guy to talk to. He spoke, uh, you know, a little English. Yep. And uh, uh, so, you know, baseball-wise, it was it was good. Uh, Money-wise, it was great. Mm. Oh, Cause they 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 pay things over there. I don't know. If talk to Crow about that, but they pay like fight money. They call it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For you to get you to play hard, which yeah. over here they it's expected. <laughs> it's expected. Play hard. But over there, if you uh, you know if you did well. In a game, you know, you come, you know, after the game, I mean, bonus money. They give you bonus money. Yeah. And if you hit a home run, uh, you know, you come in after the game and your locker was full, you know, it might be rice, you know, balasaki and, and polo shirts and kids' games, you know, cigarettes <laughs> and golf ball. <laughs> Finally, something I can use. Uh, but, and so, uh, when I came, you know, I came in and, and I had all this in the locker. It was like, you know, I started, you know, I didn't, you know, I didn't uh, drink. So I, I give the sake, you know, away. And I didn't need all that rice and I gave it away. And the shirts <laughs> didn't fit. And, I gave those away. and, you know, I kept the kids' games for a while. But after a while, I, I got them all. So, yeah. you know, so I'm giving all it. Everything but the golf balls I was basically <laughs> giving away. I didn't smoke, so I was giving that yeah. away. So, I mean, it got to, it got to be where those guys, you know, were really cheering. You know, they were really rooting <laughs> me on, you know, because uh, you know I hit a home run. They're high fiving each other. It's like, all right, you know, I got cigarettes, some, cigarettes tonight, <laughs> you know, or, you know, and uh, but uh, uh, you know, when I had, a, I remember I had a game over there and I hit. I think I hit a couple home runs off Gullickson. Oh, wow. And he was playing for the Tokyo Giants mm-hmm. with Crow. And we we won that night, and I think that was that was one of the best payoffs. I got like two grand for for that game. Good job, Gully. Yeah. yeah. Laying it right in there. <laughs> so, uh, but it was, uh, you know, like I said, it had some had some good things, you yeah. know, but it was, it was uh, you know, long. You know, because the season, you know, if you uh, you didn't play double headers there, yeah, you know, you didn't play an inclement weather at all in the, you know, when you're home, yeah, in, in, the, in, the, in the big cities, uh, but you travel throughout the countryside over there, and when you, you know, took your games to those cities, you couldn't rain one of those out. I mean, no. you played in the mud. <laughs> what, I mean, it didn't matter. It's you know downpour or whatever yeah. it's like this is our game for the year and we're not we're not calling it you're playing amazing yeah uh so one last question which i do at the end of every podcast is i always ask the guests for a life tip a nugget of wisdom something that is quintessentially about them we didn't even really get into the fact that now you've uh retired from the mud hens a few years ago you got a 340 acre farm in georgia living that life obviously a great baseball career as a manager coach you became a scout following in the footsteps of mel didier Lots of lessons, lots of stuff through the years. If I met you in a bar, I said, I want to buy you a beer, LP. And you said, okay. I said, I'm Jonah. I enjoy this. This is what I'm about. And I asked you, what are you about? What would you say? Hmm. 
I don't know. I I I think I was uh, talking to Amanda this week, my youngest daughter. She's mm-hmm. uh, she she does some. Uh, uh, she was having to testify for a rape case. Oh wow! You know, she's a nurse, mm-hmm. and she handled, but she does some of the counseling and all like that. She got a degree in that. So, yeah. But she was having to testify, and she was like, "Dad, I am really nervous about you know, doing that." And I was like, "You know, I went back to, to my dad and DDA. It was like, hey, you know, that guy, that lawyer, he's no better than you. Yeah, you know, and just you tell the truth, and you know, you won't have to worry about it. You know, it, you know, and you just feel like that that you're just as good as." You know, it was a guy asking the questions there, and don't be intimidated by it. Hmm. Yeah, I like that a lot. Um, and I think that's, you know, basically, uh, you know, if you live by that, you know, you just treat, you know, uh, treat people the way you want to be treated. Yeah. And, uh, and, like you said, you know, and try to, uh, try to be true to your word. Great stuff, uh, LP. It was a pleasure to meet you. Thank you for all this stuff. And uh, I will go find a video of those eight double headers now in September. <laughs> we'll revisit that one. Thank you, sir. Oh, yes.